Good news. Turns out, Canada never forced anyone to get vaccinated. Bishop Joseph Strickland gets cancelled, but he's not accused of committing any crime. She's heaven's newest little saint. But before they killed her, she saved her father's soul. Plus, hell just froze over Jordan Peterson on the power of the rosary. God's back, and he's bringing hell with him. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I am Michael Matt. This is the Remnant Underground. So, question. How are you enjoying the apocalypse so far? We're here uh, to take part in the after-school Satan Club. Uh, this is a club that we host at several schools throughout the United States. Uh, we're just having fun with the kids. Uh, they're doing arts and crafts and all kinds of fun stuff. So everybody's talking right now about Bishop Strickland and what's happened to Bishop Strickland in Tyler, Texas, where the Pope's removed him. Now, this could be seen as a tragic thing, and for those who are in Tyler, certainly they're heartbroken, they're devastated, we're going to talk about it in a moment. But if you look at it in the grand scheme of things, and what really is going on here, and what this moment really is all about, this is not bad news. In fact, this is something that we've been praying for for a long time, for many, many years, right? We've been praying for a bishop, for a successor of the apostles, to finally put the world on notice that something has gone terribly wrong in the Catholic Church. So in the middle of all this, we're going to talk tonight about miracles, about hope, about God intervening on behalf of all of us and on behalf of this church. In the middle of all this, think about it, that one bishop would stand up and do something that would cause him a great deal of pain, that would show us all that he actually means what he says, that he actually believes this is, a, this is a, a moment that we should celebrate and we should understand the ramifications of it and understand from a historical context how all throughout history, men who did what Bishop Strickland has done have changed, have been game changers. They've not only changed history, but they've inspired millions to hang on and to keep the faith, right? Two years ago, the Vatican, one of the offices, clearly said in relation to the you know, same-sex unions and all of that controversy, the Vatican said, we cannot bless sin. And now, two years later, mm. well, it, we think that's up for debate. No, it's not. Mm. And that's what I mean. That's part of the deposit of faith. That is serving the people of God. That's being a, a successor of the apostles to tell people this is sinful, repent and return to the path of Christ. To say, oh, well, we don't, we're not sure it's sinful anymore. I do disagree and I feel obligated before the Lord, before Jesus no. Christ to say, no, no <laughs> repent and return to the path of Christ. Now, it's really important to understand something about this. There has been no formal charge leveled against Bishop Strickland. I'll repeat that. There's been no formal charge. He was just removed because somebody didn't like what he was doing. I asked him what he thought when I saw him last. What do you think, Excellency? What's the, the main thing you've done wrong? What's your number one crime as far as, as far as the folks in charge are concerned? He said, I'm not sure, but I think 
It's because I read the catechism out loud. It's a great answer. That's where we've come to at this point. The Pope has removed a good bishop because he has the power to do so. And that's it. There's no, there's no breach with canon law. There's no law broken. It's just because he has the raw power to do so. Just as any tyrant has the power to put himself above the law. But Bishop Strickland has not been accused of a crime. Did anyone from the Holy See cite violations of canon law that you may have incurred to, to get no, this kind no. of penalty? Was, I mean, they don't remove, you remove a bishop when they're, they're, there's some grave sin, uh, corruption, you know, sexual malfeasance, uh, you know, stealing. Is there anything that they've cited of that magnitude here? No, absolutely not. No, I don't want to get into a lot of controversy, but the fact that there are people, critics now, people coming out and criticizing Bishop Strickland for what he did, for what he's doing, uh, boggles the mind. <laughs> it's shocking because we've all been waiting for such a long time for somebody to stand up and do something. He does, and he gets criticized from both sides. He gets criticized from the Neo-Catholics, who are very rigorous and legalistic. You can't disobey the Pope. You can't speak that. You can't ask any questions. Well, that's, that's a Protestant caricature of what Catholics believe and how they act and the theology of the papacy, what it means to them. That you can never ask any questions? They are the legalist, rigorous ones, not us. And on the other side, you have the, the so-called Sedevacantus, who we'll get to in a moment, who are accusing the bishop of being a coward for not standing up and doing his own thing and just denying the authority of the folks who own the buildings at the moment. But see, that the reality is Bishop Strickland spoke out in defense of what Catholics have always believed, and for that he was removed. <laughs> well, for that, and addressing the 900-pound gorilla in the parlor. Hmm. Certainly, the Pope has said confusing things, but a lot of the people that he has appointed as cardinals, the people in the various offices of the Vatican, they haven't said confusing things. They've said things that contradict the deposit of faith. And the Pope has put them in place. So it really, it frustrates me. If he disagrees with what they're saying, he's the Pope. He can clear it up very quickly, very simply, and say, mm. this is what we believe as Catholics. <laughs> Obviously, and thank God the bishop has said this. Everybody knows this to be true. He's just the one that had the guts and the faith to say it. And so rather than looking at what he's saying, rather than saying, oh, gee, I wonder if Bishop Strickland has got a point, he's got these critics who are now making stuff up. Well, ah, they say, yeah, but, he, but he's not liked in his diocese. No, 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 he's not. And besides, there are administrative issues. Wink, wink, nod, nod. What, really? Such as. Such as. Raymond Aron just asked him, what are your crimes? What did you do? What are they accusing you of? Nothing. If he's not telling the truth, the Vatican can simply come out and say, he's lying, Bishop Strickland is lying. Here's what we told him, right? So we know he's speaking the truth. They didn't even accuse him of anything. <laughs> it's just that defending the deposit of faith makes a person guilty of administrative issues or something. He's doing something wrong, that's for sure, because they can't, his critics cannot face, they cannot handle the ramifications of this. What if Bishop Strickland is right? So rather than looking at him, they shoot the messenger and they make stuff up. 
Now, I've had the great honor of meeting Bishop Strickland on a couple of occasions. And I gotta tell you, he's the most transparent bishop I have ever met. <laughs> he's an open book. His love of Christ is palpable. And you know what? We, the proof is in the pudding. His people love him for it. I know because I've been in contact with some of them lately, some of the ladies from his diocese who have contacted us because they wanted permission to use one of our cartoons involving Bishop Strickland to make some products like these that they can give away or sell or whatever in time for Christmas down in Tyler. That's the extent to which this bishop is loved by his people. That's how popular he is. His people love him. And yeah, they're brokenhearted, truly brokenhearted over what Francis has done to their good shepherd. But now they're looking at how he's reacting, how he's responding to this. As a martyr responds, and they're moved to tears. They're going to support him. They're going to stand with him no matter what because he's showing a Christ-like attitude towards how one resists and what happens when they come down on you like a ton of bricks. And that's what we need to think about here. It's not going to be easy. This is not a Chuck Norris movie. This is not a Sylvester Stallone movie where we're going to come out on top kicking everybody's butt. Ah! No, it's the suffering. It's the willingness to suffer. It's the willingness to pay the consequences for resistance that makes this man a hero. This is a major victory for the church. Don't you feel it in your heart when you look at Bishop Strickland? He lost everything. He's a bishop. He's not a blogger with nothing to lose but likes. He has lost his position. He's a punchline. He's a joke. He's being mocked. He's being dismissed. And a week after it happens, he's on his knees praying the rosary with his people again. He's not encouraging rioting and insurrection. He's saying, this is what they did to Jesus. If Jesus wants me to go through something similar, I'll try. Give it my best shot. And he's being criticized for it by the people with the giant microphones. Honestly, friends, I don't mean to be polemical. But if you're watching a program, you're involved with somebody who's going out publicly on the internet and criticizing this beautiful, beautiful shepherd at this particular moment, I would say discontinue any association with that person. He's working for the wrong side. He's a useful idiot. He's a water carrier for the revolution. Because simply for doing his sacred duty before God as a faithful successor of the apostles, Bishop Strickland has outed the Francis Revolution. You see? This is an international story. In the hearts of, uh, of the world, people are looking at this bishop and saying, wow, why, why is this happening to him? And, and, and on the other side of the coin, you have villains and tyrants who are not sympathetic characters at all in Rome, who are doing the kicking out, who are expelling, claiming to be merciful, claiming to be paragons of mercy and forgiveness and tolerance and equity and inclusion. But when one guy stands up for Christ, they say, get the hell out of here. What does that tell you about them? And what does that tell you about him? <clears throat> and here's another point, friends. Apparently this was missed on a lot of people, maybe including uh, Team Francis. Bishop Strickland isn't a rad trad. He wasn't saying the Latin mass every day. He wasn't reading the remnant newspaper and wanting to join the traditional Catholic resistance. <laughs> He's just a bishop doing his job, just a priest. And his fault was, his crime was, he defended those of us who are attending the Latin Mass. 
He refused to implement an unjust order. The fact that I didn't implement uh, traditionis custodis, um, I basically didn't not implement, I just didn't respond. Um, we have a few Latin masses. And as I mm -hmm. uh, said, I, I felt like I couldn't deprive that portion of the flock of the nourishment they were receiving. What else did he do? Well, he, he, he refused to enforce the jab, thus outing, once again, the diabolical alliance between the Vatican and the World Economic Forum. But I said, we can't mandate people to violate their conscience, to, to go against their free will. And then, last but not least, Bishop Strickland had the audacity to oppose the Synod on Synodality. I mean, that's one of the things that was listed. I wasn't supportive of the Synod. And, you know, I stand by that. Um, as mm. I said in one of the tweets, I said, why are we discussing things that shouldn't be up for discussion? It's yeah. settled truth that God has revealed to us. So we know all that. But if anybody were to ask me, why do you really think they got rid of Bishop Joseph Strickland? I would say it's because of this, something that happened several years ago at the USCCB conference in Washington, D.C. What I've heard from people, which resonates with me, is that the whole McCarrick reality, how did that happen if, if we really believe that what was going on was wrong? That, friends, that's the moment. That's the moment the decision was made. Strickland has to go. And it just became a matter of time to figure out how we get rid of this guy. Because he was asking too many questions. And when it came to Ted McCarrick, well, let's face it, they all knew. The recognition of Cardinal McCarrick for his tireless effort in helping the church. At Manhattan's Metropolitan Club, Archbishop and newly elected Cardinal Blaise Supich presents Cardinal McCarrick with the Spirit of Francis Award. He says the honor by Catholic extension is given to those who mirror the organization's mission. We do it in a way that uh, wants to draw attention to uh, the work of the church that goes to the periphery, to goes to the margins of society and in the church. Uh, Cardinal McCarrick has been an individual who's done that his whole life, who's done that his whole life, his whole life. The worrisome thing about this is, um, let's put this bluntly, everyone knew about mm -hmm. Cardinal McCarrick. Yeah, they all knew, and that was the problem. You know, I don't know how long we're going to be able to keep videos like that up either, the way the, the witch hunt is going. And it reminds me, I wanted to uh, make a point, we're going to get right back to, to uh, Bishop Strickland. Uh, here in a moment, but every video, friends, you can help me get the word out on this because it's important now that we're heading into another election year uh, when the big tech crackdown is going to happen. Um, please, please, please spread the word that every single video that we post here at Remnant TV goes up first over at remnantnewspaper.com. It's not YouTube, it's not Rumble, but it's our own, as we've said so many times over the year, you helped us build it our own independent platform at Remnant TV that cannot be monitored and cannot be shut down, can't be blocked. Because as you know, this is going to be an interesting year now. And you, YouTube demonetized us years ago for asking too many questions during the last current thing, the mandatory jab campaign, which <laughs> incredibly, and by the way, never actually happened. And therefore, while not forcing anyone to get vaccinated, I chose to make sure that all the incentives 
and all the protections were there to encourage Canadians to get vaccinated. <laughs> you just, you just can't make it up. Did you hear that, yeah. Canadians? Evidently, it was all in your imagination. It was just in your heads. <laughs> never happened. I suppose that trucker convoy up there never happened either in Ottawa. Oh, must not. Have I don't think it happened. I think it was AI Nothing or something. Bad happened in Canada. Nothing. No. It really kind of makes you wonder just, just how many boosters has that poor little ferret had over the past year or so because... The bottom line, proof of vaccination will be required by no later than the end of this month for all federal employees. And by mid-November, mid enforcement measures in place will make sure that everyone is vaccinated. He's not the only cognitively impaired politician denying what actually happened. Down in Australia, they've just taken it right off the rails. You actually made a comment that no one was forced to have the vaccination. You must have been fully aware that people, nurses, doctors, people to have their jobs, to keep their jobs, were forced to have the vaccination. Now, do you retract your statement that they were not forced? Uh, Senator, no, I, I believe firmly that nobody was forced to have a vaccine. Get the jab or risk losing your job. That's the ultimatum facing hundreds of thousands of essential workers tonight. I believe everybody was offered an opportunity to get a vaccine or not get a vaccine. I don't believe that anybody was forced to take a vaccine. Coercion is not consent, but that won't matter for authorised workers if they want to keep their job. Right. Well, then they won't be going to work. Nobody was forced to have a vaccine. If you make the judgement to not get vaccinated and you reckon you can wait out us or the publican or whoever you want to think you're waiting out... Nobody was forced to have a vaccine. Life will become very difficult for the unvaccinated from January 31. Nobody was forced to have a vaccine. No gym, no yoga classes. No gigs, no dance floors. No hospital or aged care visits. I don't know if he actually said it. There's some controversy over whether the Nazi propaganda minister, Joseph Goebbels, actually said this. But it's a, it's a quote in which he said, as I recall... Uh, that if you tell if you if you tell a lie big enough and you keep repeating it over and over again, people will eventually come to believe it. And then he makes this really interesting point. I think he lifted it from Mein Kampf or something, whatever. But he said that's why it's so important to crack down on anybody and any dissent or anyone who's questioning the lie. And then he makes the point, which is so true, which we're living through right now. The truth, he says, becomes the enemy of the state. The truth becomes the enemy of the state. And that's what's happening here. So I'm asking you to promote Remnant TV and to subscribe to this newspaper if you can, because 2024 is going to be really interesting. In fact, I would ask you and bring up one little, one other little talking part, a little uh, house, house. What do you call those? Housekeeping notes. Yes, uh, which should be really encouraging for everybody. As I'm trying to say, we want, we got to stay positive. We got to stay together. So I'm really happy to, to let people know. Mark your calendars. The clans are going to unite in a big way once again on the road to Shard in France, Pentecost 
Gerhard Cardinal Muller, who we've been praising to the hilt for his incredible uh, work lately exposing what's happening in the Vatican. He's the one who dubbed the Synod on Synodality a hostile takeover of the Catholic Church, which is what it is. He is going to celebrate the traditional Latin Mass. Now think about this. In the era of Traditionis Custodis, they're trying to shut down a Latin Mass all over the place. Cardinal Muller, who was the head of the CDF under Pope Benedict XVI, top theologian in the church, he's going to be offering the traditional Latin Mass for the hands-down largest gathering of traditional Catholics in the world today, the Sharp Pilgrimage, and inside the most iconic Gothic cathedral in Europe. There's going to be media everywhere. We've got to pray for this. It's going to be a really, really big deal. And this is something I want to, I want to tack on tonight as well, because I think it's really important for those of you who are not traditional Catholics or those of you who are you know, not even Catholic, I have a lot of friends who, um, friends of this program, who tell me, well, I don't know about the Latin Mass, man. I don't, I don't understand Latin, and I'm not going to Latin Mass, and, you know, I just don't, it's not my thing. I totally understand that. You know, we've been, for several generations, we've been deprogrammed on what the point and purpose of the Mass is, the worship of Almighty God, God offering God to God. So this show does not ostracize or condemn anybody who's not going to Latin Mass. In fact, I would use Bishop Strickland as an example of a tradition-minded priest. We've been talking about them forever, moving in our direction, and we're grateful that he's there. We're ready to wrap him up in a bear hug and thank him for, for, for raising awareness about fidelity to the traditions of the church. But it's really important for us to make it very clear. Why do we always bring up the Mass? Why are we always talking about liturgy? Okay, well, that's, 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 a, that's a simple question to answer. First of all, you understand that every civilization in the history of the world until ours <laughs> understood the need to offer worship, to offer sacrifice to God, even if it wasn't Almighty God, even if it was the gods. Before, there was always an innate sense that comes with natural law of knowing we must do something to praise, to worship God. Well, that's, that's, that's moving away. In the Catholic Church, they have taken sacrifice out and they've made it a table, a meal at the table. They've totally transformed it. You say, that's not true, man. That's an exaggeration. What's the matter with you? Well, here's the reality, friends. It is, as the, the, Western, the martyrs of the Western uprising in England, as they said famously, it's the mass that matters. And ever since now, whether you're Catholic or not, you can, hear, you can follow this point. Ever since they destroyed true and rightful worship, which grew out of the apostolic times, goes back to the Last Supper itself, ever since these modernists, progressives, now globalists, ever since they tried to cancel the Latin Mass, the world has fallen further and further into chaos, into hell. Millions and millions, whole generations losing the faith, leaving the church, right? Because it was the mass that was the central touchstone of the faith. And that's why it's so important. And as it's taken down and reduced and as the Catholic Church collapses into synodality, every Christian denomination in the world is going to become weaker and is going to follow suit. They already have. And that's why it's a threat to everyone in the whole world, Catholic or not. So what happened at the Catholic Church is that literally the Catholic Church went to bed Catholic and woke up modernist. Not, not, not 500 years ago. I'm talking about when I was a kid. Even the bishops of the Second Vatican Council, the Council Fathers, when they first arrived in Rome in 1962, they were traditional Catholics offering the traditional Latin Mass in the Vatican. Now, 
just look at this for, for a few moments. What do you see there on the screen? You, say, you see priests standing at altars of sacrifice, worshiping God as they had done for thousands of years, for 1,500 years, exactly as they had done. So what happened? What happened to this? A couple of years ago, people forget this, Francis even banned Novus Ordo private masses inside the Basilica of St. Peter. Nearly a half a dozen cardinals are calling on the Vatican to overturn restrictions on private masses in St. Peter's Basilica. Earlier today, Cardinal Joseph Zen, Bishop Emeritus of Hong Kong, published an open letter to Cardinal Robert Serra saying that he would, quote, fly to Rome and get on his knees and plead with the Holy Father to lift the ban. Bare altars and empty churches. It's the hallmarks of the springtime of Vatican II. Ever since they got rid of the Mass, the traditional Latin Mass has been war on Catholic liturgy. You know, they bring in the belt banners, they bulldoze the sanctuary, you got priests using guitars to do blessings and whatever the heck they want to do. Loving God, rock with us as we roll with you. War on the family because the Catholic Church is no longer a serious presence to defend the family. War on faith, war on babies, war on everything true, good, and beautiful. Until today now, finally, fidelity to Jesus Christ himself is a punishable offense. Don't believe me? Just ask the Bishop of Tyler, Texas. And now, even many traditionalists, this is where I wanted to talk about the context of resistance. Because even many traditionalists don't seem to fully understand what happens next after you stand up and resist. And this is where your medal, your Catholic medal, is tested. Because his, credit, his critics are saying, oh, Bishop Strickland is folding like a cheap tent. <clears throat> he's not going to stand his ground. He's, uh, he's a coward. Well, my question to them would be, what's he supposed to do? <laughs> what's he supposed to do? Crown himself Pope? Maybe barricade himself inside his own chancery office, get some snipers up on the roof? For how long? And then what? This isn't a movie. This is the real world. And it's always been like this. They have the buildings, which means they have the power, and we have the faith. And when we resist them, which we must do, and when they condemn us for it, we're condemned. Just as Jesus Christ was condemned by the little tyrants of his day. So you got to choose wisely when it comes to the hills you want to die on. And this is what we traditional Catholics have been talking about, worrying about, warning against for 50 years. That modernists have infiltrated, that they're in charge, that they're at the heart and bosom of the church. Not in my opinion. This comes directly from a papal encyclical in 1907, Pope St. Pius X said these modernist infiltrators are at the heart and bosom of the church. He didn't say they're outside the church. If he had said that, it would have been a simpler thing. He's talking about an infiltration at the heart and bosom of the church. He never suggests they lost their office for it. He just says that's where they are, and that's where they need to be resisted and driven out. And this is the nature, the diabolical nature of the crisis in the Catholic Church. And so what are we going to do about it? Well, first of all, <clears throat> we have to understand what it means to be a martyr. It doesn't necessarily mean that in the temporal sense, in the here and now, you're going to be a hero and somebody's going to cue the music and you're going to be, you know, picked up and set on somebody's shoulders and carried around in triumph. No, it doesn't mean that. It means you're going to lose everything. It means you're going to be humiliated like Bishop Strickland has been humiliated. Lost his see. He's a mocking, they're mocking him. He's a laughing stock now, right? By the world. 
and by his critics and by the folks in the Vatican. He's not going to lose his life, please God. But it's a dry martyrdom that he's going through. And all the martyrs back to Peter can attest to the fact that when we resist, and we must, they have the power to take everything away from us except the faith. And that's what it's all about. But neither Bishop Strickland nor any of us can go out and start a new church. Bishop Strickland must suffer with the church that God has commissioned him to serve, which is what he's doing so well, all the way now to the foot of the cross. So he's like St. John Fisher in England, 16th century England. You know, that one of the few, in John Fisher's case, the only bishop of all the English bishops, the only bishops, bishop who was willing to stand up and lose everything, including his head in the name of truth. So what we're seeing here, friends, please, the takeaway from all of this, what we're seeing is a glorious answer to the prayers of the faithful for decades. Do any of these guys actually believe? Is any one of them going to stand up? Or are they just going to sit there and let Mother Church be raped, scourged, and dragged through the mud every day? Does any of them believe? Bishop Strickland believes. He resisted them, and now he's been martyred. And you know what? For years now, maybe for a thousand years, maybe all the way to the end of time, they'll be telling his story. Because he was the one. He was the bishop of our time who had the courage to believe. Which is exactly how I introduced Bishop Strickland at the Catholic Identity Conference just a few months ago. And it's in that context, ladies and gentlemen, that I would like to introduce now a successor of St. John who fills our hearts and our souls and our conference and this room tonight with so much hope, so much hope, because he still believes. Because he believes that Jesus Christ is God because he believes this church is worth suffering everything for in the defense of. And with that, Bishop X, His Excellency Joseph Strickland of Tyler, Texas. Catholic Identity Conference for a long time, 15 years or whatever, I never saw anything like that. The standing ovation went on and on and on. People were so grateful and so filled with hope and so filled with faith and love and charity because their shepherd had stood up and done the right thing and now he was standing with them, you know? That's what it takes. Martyrs always mean, please friends, note this. When people start getting martyred again, when they start starving the lions and they start threatening us with martyrdom, it always means one thing. It means that the revolution has failed. It ran out of ideas. 
It failed to seduce us. It failed to intimidate us. And all they have left is raw, tyrannical power to hurt us. Strickland now walks in the footsteps of martyrs, whose example in the past inspired the rise of mighty Christendom, and whose example today and in the future will rebuild mighty Christendom. We must believe that. And all we have to do in the meantime is hang on. You see? Inspired by the example of the martyrs now and the martyrs that will rise up in the days to come. Truly, unite the clans. Keep the faith. Watch the miracles happen. Because they're happening already. They're happening all around us. Everyone's following the story of this little girl. This beautiful little baby in the UK. A sick and helpless little baby that the science had just had to kill. Had to take her off life support. In such an act of depravity and evil that her own father, this little baby's father, not a religious man in the least, an agnostic, that he himself turns to God out of sheer desperation in the face of the evil that he was facing. This little baby is heaven's newest little saint. Before she left this world, her agnostic father made sure that she would spend eternity with God. He was inspired by the Christian legal volunteers who fought to save his daughter's life. And he said, I'm not religious and I'm not baptized. But when I was in court, I felt like I had been dragged into hell. I thought if hell exists, then heaven must exist. It was like the devil was there. I thought if there's a devil, then God must exist. Friends, this tonight, this man's baby is with God. Well, he did everything he possibly could to save her, but the people who own the buildings wouldn't let him do it. But the really beautiful thing is, friends, before she left her daddy, before she died, little Indy saved his soul. He told the media, I've seen what hell is like, and I want Indy to go to heaven. In fact, I decided that me and my other daughter should get baptized too. We want to be protected in this life. We want to go to heaven. So what, what greater miracle, friends? Could we ask for than watching the, the entire world seeing a father finding God in the darkness of his little baby's execution chamber? You see? And that's what this is all about. That's what we're all about. You know, the darkness has come down over the world, and we're just trying to find Christ in the darkness, follow the light of Christ out of this darkness. And the really Good news, friends, is that everywhere we look, we can see this happening. More and more people are realizing if evil like that exists, then God must exist. People are finding Christ. Despite the very best efforts of men to bury him, to say that he's dead, people are still finding him in <laughs> very unexpected places. Jordan Peterson. <laughs> he's no Christian. 
brilliant guy with a, some truly spot-on commentary. We've used it down here before in this show. Spot-on commentary on a lunacy of modernity. But he's, a, he's got a long way to go on a lot of issues before anyone's going to mistake him for a Christian. And yet recently he found something. And, and maybe, it's, maybe it's his flaws. Maybe it's his famous agnosticism where religion is concerned, where God is concerned, that make the following clip so amazing. She had a very rare cancer, which was 100% fatal, and which generally conferred upon its bearer a lifespan of approximately 10 months. People can imagine what that would be like. The intervention of the radiologist could well have irritated the tissue that was damaged enough to facilitate healing. And that's the simplest explanation. But the fact that it did occur on our 30th wedding anniversary, and that is what Tammy had said would happen months before when she had no way of knowing that or even any reason to assume it. Well, you know, I don't know what to make of that. I'm pretty happy about it. She's also, as far as we know, the only person who ever survived this cancer. So that's also, that's how it is. Things have changed for me a lot since I started praying the rosary. The more you follow what God wants you to follow, the more adventurous and more challenging everything becomes. I've been accepting to do things that I never would have accepted before. So it's very, very much changed my life. Now, seriously, did you ever think that was going to happen? First time you saw Jordan Peterson, did you ever think a day was coming when he would be talking about the rosary? When his wife would convert and he's making real noises like he himself may convert to the Catholic faith. McQueenie was useful, I would say, in three ways. One was as a conduit to a traditional faith, Catholicism, as a friend who was there above and beyond the call of duty, and then also as someone who could teach Tammy the prayer practice of the rosary and also practice that with her as master to apprentice. He's one of the most powerful cultural, intellectual icons, phenomena in the world today. And yet just a few days ago, this is what he was talking about. She wasn't praying that God would provide her with some special dispensation. She was praying that she would conduct herself as appropriately as could possibly be managed given the situation at hand. And that's what it means in some ways to put yourself in the hands of God. You don't know what the right outcome is, and maybe it's that you live, and maybe it isn't. What you can pray for is that you handle what's thrown at you in the best possible manner, whatever that is. And that can be a very demanding aim. And that's a terrible thing to be called upon to do, but all other pathways merely make hell deeper. God is working miracles, wonderful miracles all around us, friends. We have to keep this in mind. We can't let Francis and the darkness and the craziness and the President Biden's and all the globalist nonsense push us away from that reality. Nothing really changes for us. And that's another lesson that Bishop Strickland has, has given us. That no matter what happens, no matter what happens to him, no matter what the Vatican does, he just needs to continue to do what he's on this earth to do, and that's to stand with Christ. People have asked me, what are you going to do? 
I'm going to be faithful to Christ. I'm still going to do my best to be a successor of the apostles. But what that looks like in the future, I don't know. But I I don't believe I can just go quietly into the dark night. I mean, I've got Mm -hmm. to share the light of Christ in a world that needs his truth so desperately. Amen, Your Excellency. I don't need to tell you this, but if we consult our scripture, we know that they will scourge you. They will scourge you in their synagogues, and you will be brought before governors and before kings for Christ's sake. But when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what to speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what to say. For it is not you that speaks, but it's the spirit of your father that speaks for you. Friends, I know the world has gone mad, and I know lots of you are just barely hanging on tonight. But the thing is, friends, as we're seeing from just a few examples tonight on this show, and there's many, many more, we're not alone. Something wonderful is happening. People are turning away from the darkness. So please, don't lose hope. Don't lose hope. That means trust God, even if you don't always understand what his plan is. Despite everything, he is with us now, and he will be with us always, even unto the consummation of the world. I'm Michael Matt, Remnant TV. Thank you so much for watching, and we'll see you next week.